We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined, as always, my co-host, Nick Villato. And we are turning the page, I should say. This will be one of our last few draft profiles. I don't know. It depends on when you listen to this. We probably have two to four more in the dock. And then we're going to get into some very specific draft content. Rankings of players, our big boards, some mock drafts for the Giants, our thoughts on what to do at 11, what we think they will do at 11. We're going to kind of start to zone in. I guess we're taking this from a 30,000-foot view, and we're really narrowing that focus. But we did want to make sure that before we did that and went away from these draft profiles, we hit all the possible players the Giants could take at 11. So, But before we do that, let's break down a recent signing the Giants made. It's actually not as recent now. It's probably four or five days ago from when we're recording, but we haven't had a chance to break it down yet, and that's nose tackle Danny Shelton. What did you make of that deal? He actually signed for close to the veteran minimum, which I thought was interesting because he's still a young player. Yeah, I love it, man. I absolutely love it, and it kind of will help the departure of Dalvin Tomlinson. Obviously, he's not Dalvin Tomlinson, but Danny Shelton, I mean, I've reviewed his film, plays with really, really good leverage, very, very low, stout, compact type guy with heavy, heavy hands. It's not going to offer too much as a... As a pass rusher, that's not really his game, but his game is to eat blocks. His game is to two-gap. I mean, look at some of the teams that he's played on. He's played with the New England Patriots. He has a familiarity with Joe Judge. He's played with Matt Patricia over there in Detroit. He's also played with the Cleveland Browns. And he's two-gapped in a lot of these places, man. He just plays a zero technique, which is head up right over the center, and he can just anchor down and allow the center to attack him, and he just eats up space, and he just collapses on either A gap. And this is going to allow those linebackers to have easier access to kind of flow and scrape over the top and make plays and keep their own chest clean and not allow for easy climbs up to the second level on certain types of blocks. So I loved the signing, to be honest, especially at the vet minimum. I think he's somebody who can step in and play on first and second down and allow the Giants to run those tight fronts, those bare uh, eagle type of fronts or whatever. It's really, we'll just say tight because again, it's the four eye technique to the strength, three technique to the weak side, and that nose who will more than likely be Danny Shelton most of the time. Yeah. I mean, you think you nailed it mostly here, Nick, but I love the signing as well. There's so many reasons I liked it. One, this is a former top 12 pick in the 2015 draft. He is not that old. And he still has that same, everything that led the team to draft him that early, especially when you're going nose tackle that early, you know you're looking for. I mean, they probably thought he had he was going to develop into more of a pass rusher than he than he is, which is fine. He may not be. Obviously, he's signing for near vet minimum. Dude. It doesn't matter, though. He's still an unbelievable, like you said, nose tackle and someone who can do a lot of the things which is why I also really like the signing that Dalvin Tomlinson did for the Giants but for me it all comes down to one thing mostly why I love this deal it shows the Giants are evolving it shows the Giants are learning it shows they realize that 
Interior defensive line is an incredibly deep position in the NFL. Finding someone like a Dalvin Tomlinson or a Danny Shelton, again, he's not Dalvin Tomlinson, but doesn't matter, doesn't have to come via the first round. It doesn't, you don't have to lose a Dalvin and then use another, you know, pick on like a Barrymore or something in the draft to, to just to replace him. You can go ahead and sign someone like Danny Shelton who can do a lot of the same things that Dalvin can do for the vet minimum at obviously a position that not that not many teams are going crazy throwing big money at for good reason. So I love it. It shows the Giants are evolving from their roster building standpoint in my mind. And so I think it was just a knockout move. This could ultimately end up being just because of like what you know about how important a, two, a, a potential player like him is for Patrick Graham's specific system. It could ultimately end up being like their best value signing, just pure value-wise, like for what he gives them this season. It's possible this is their best value signing. Especially if he plays like 500 snaps. Yeah. He gets in there, plays like 500 snaps. Could be their best. I mean, that's valuable. At the veteran minimum. Exactly. Allowing you to do what you want to do schematically, which you might have not had the ability to if you had a Dexter Lawrence playing that role. Who knows? Or how effective he is. And and even even with Dexter Lawrence, now this allows Dexter Lawrence to line up at that three-tech or that four-eye. And guess what he's going to be doing? Eating double teams. And that just allows the linebackers to make their plays that much easier. So it's important to keep the continuity of that defense together. Because honestly, I like Austin Johnson, but I like him in the rotational role. I don't want him being the guy who they're relying on in that type, especially in that type of position. I don't think he'd have been able to hold up as a nose technique in that in Patrick Graham's system Dexter Lawrence I think he would be able to but he's better utilized because he has that quickness and he can penetrate too so sometimes if you're not too gapping you can line him up at that three technique and he can use that quick first step to challenge the half man relationship get up field and then just be disruptive which is something we've seen from Dexter Lawrence in his short career 100%. 100%. This is, for all those reasons, this is an A-plus signing. I love this move by the Giants. I'm happy they did it. All right, without further ado, let's dive into some Rashawn Slater breakdown. Let's just be honest. I think it's pretty clear if you follow either me or Nick on Twitter by this point, we really want them to take it 11. I actually don't think there's a good chance they will take him at 11. I don't even know if he'll be here, but it is a player who's in the mix at 11, and that's Rashawn Slater, the offensive tackle slash guard slash I think he can play every single position on the line lineman in this draft out of Northwestern. So Slater is a guy who kind of came onto the scene late, was just a three-star recruit as an offensive guard out of Texas and played with Northwestern, a college you never see offensive linemen come out of. You never really see too many pros come out of. And then just burst onto the scene. As a freshman, he played right tackle. He was amazing. Great out great. But really, he broke out in that 2019 season before opting out in 2020 as a left tackle in his first season at left tackle. And obviously, the big game is the one against Chase Young, who, and I think it's important to look at a game like that and take a lot away from it because Chase Young is already one of the elite, in my mind, one of the elite pass rushers in the NFL. The stats show it last year. He was extremely effective on a per pass rush, on a per pass rush snap basis. And Rashawn Slater had his way with him. He did really, really good against Chase Young. He was one of the only people who did really, really good against Chase Young last season. So I want to start with Slater and what you took away from watching his film from 2019. What are his biggest strengths? Yeah, so I really liked him as a prospect, Dan. I mean, he's got a good frame. Arms are a bit short, but he really made up for that deficiency with exceptional use of angles, good feel for leverage and balance, showed impressive athletic ability, good lower body flexion, change of direction skill, short area quickness, all those necessary traits. And I believe Slater, he's a good run blocker. He absorbs contact well with good posterior strength, lower leg drive, uses hand placement to kind of win at the point of attack and dictate the rep. Edge defender's job when they're the contain or force defender is to set a firm edge, keep the inside rushing lane narrow for the alley defender, or to just kind of spill things outside to secondary force defenders. In these situations, Slater showed a diverse ability to execute these assignments well with different rushing type of plays by not allowing the edge to always do these things. Slater does a great job staying square, using patience, and restricting the space for edge rushers who are attempting to kind of lock him out. Slater doesn't have the longest arms. Slater readjusts his hands, resets his core, and breaks the wrist of those defenders. He attacks their arms, resets his own center of gravity, doesn't really lean too much, plays very, very balanced, and effectively limits the space between the defender and himself by gaining the breastplate and pulling the defender close with that excellent grip strength. It's kind of like one of those situations where you're like, smell my breath, you know, like, I didn't brush my teeth, like, face mask to face mask, you're not going anywhere, Mr. Edge Defender. And he's also dangerous blocking down the line of scrimmage on pin-pull power gap type of plays, and I don't know, man, he's just, 
so damn fluid, so quick-footed, really does an amazing job with those angles and ability to locate second-level defenders on those deuce block climbs. Very fluid and shows excellent location and turn ability, shows that torque and that core strength, uses great timing, very, very impressive type of stuff. Slater is also excellent when he's blocking laterally. I mean, I put a bunch of clips on Twitter. It's really impressive when he has to locate second-level defenders, does a great job scooping, flowing, gets to the inside shoulder of defenders and gets his hat across the defender's body, which allows him to use his upfield hand to kind of control and steer while posterior hand controls that hip or that lower back of the defender. And then Slater also finishes blocks with a lot of competitive toughness, which is something that you'll love to see. But I think the best part about Slater is him in pass protection and just his overall athletic ability. I mean, Slater has all the range needed to execute vertical sets, short sets, drum type sets, 45 degree sets. His feet are just so damn quick. He's very, very controlled, very, very fun to watch on film. Stays balanced up the arc, uses that individual arm technique to kind of initiate contact, restrict the space, control, and then adjust well to counter moves. He just has exceptional recovery speed and athletic ability as well, which is something that does come up on his tape. And I believe he's got a good punch as well. Just Jolts defenders, 10.5-inch hands, keeps his hands and elbows tight into contact, smooth with his transition on stunts, and rarely seem to ever be agitated or anything like that. He's just very, very calm, cool, collected. I really like what I've just seen from him overall on his film. Love his movement skills, his temperament, his ability to play tackle. I think the length is going to hurt him a little bit, but I think he should get a shot at playing tackle. And if he doesn't necessarily thrive there, you can kick him inside the guard and he would be excellent. Yeah, I think ultimately, as far as the length goes and if that will hurt him, I hear that a lot. We heard that with Tristan Wirfs last year. I often wonder, we also heard that two years ago with a player who's kind of had his career derailed by injury, but I thought was going to be a really good tackle, Isaiah Wynn. I wonder like how much that actually matters when you watch these guys on film. Like, And when you see a guy like, when you watch that Slater versus Chase Young game, you, you don't, it doesn't really, and Chase Young's a long prospect. He's got obviously length at the defensive end edge position. You don't really see it as any kind of issue there because his feet are so quick and because he does such a good job getting into his stance because he's so explosive. So I don't know. It's like, does it matter? It's hard to say because obviously the players he's going to match up against are going to be longer on the edge in the NFL versus what he saw in the Big Ten. But that's the type of thing that I wonder. I have a question about something you mentioned, the deuce block climbs that he does a really good, exceptional job of. I'm curious if you could break that down a little bit more for the listeners because that's obviously a little bit football jargon uh, type thing there. So I want to just kind of make sure we never gloss over that and we break it all down. Yeah, so uh, you'll hear me mention deuce and ace blocks, and it's really simple. A deuce block is a combination block between a tackle and a guard, and then an ace block is a combination block between a guard and a center. So you see combination blocks all the time, double team climb. It's one of the staples of inside zone. It's one of the staples of duo blocking scheme. You block down on the defender, make sure that transition with your, say if it's a deuce block, tackle blocks down on a, say a four eye technique, ensures that that offensive guard has control. Then he climbs, locates second level so the running back can get past that first level defender and then have another alley and that second level defender can't fill his responsibility because he's getting picked up by a tackle so it's just combination blocks whenever it's deuce tackle guard whenever it's ace guard center yep and i think i just actually as today as of this recording we're recording this on a weekend i just posted a clip to twitter if anyone wants to see if a really excellent job of slater doing exactly that climbing to that second level sealing off that second level defender and allowing for if it was Saquon Barkley, potentially a touchdown. It was not Saquon Barkley. It's Northwestern running back. I don't even know who it was or care. But yeah, Rashawn Slater, six foot four, three hundred four pounds. He had thirty three inch arms, which again are not totally ideal by NFL standards. But again, I just don't know how much I care when you watch guys like Tristan Wirfs make that look foolish. And then he had a seven four eight three comb, which I thought was incredibly impressive. Like you didn't need to see it. You don't need to see the good testing with him. It's obvious on film that he's just an absolutely it's outstanding athlete. Like the Giants got Slater. He's literally the best athlete on their line by far immediately. And it's not just that. Like he kind of... <laughs> At times, it looks like he moves almost like one of those bigger blocking tight ends. It really does. So it's almost like you have just an incredible athlete on your line. That And how much is – what? what's that worth, right? What's it worth to get someone like that on your line when you have a Saquon Barkley in this offense, when you have potentially someone like a John Ross, Jalen Waddle, or Devontae Smith maybe in this offense? And when you have guys who can create so, – and even Shepard to that regard because he was really good on those plays out of the backfield where they kind of flipped it to him or they kind of used him in kind of that quick pass role. When you get a guy like Slater on the move and just at that second level, just I think – 
you're not going to have that really with anyone else right now on their line. Even Matt Parrott, who's a good athlete, is not really anywhere close to this level of an athlete. I think he's more of just like a fluid, solid athlete. I don't think he's really as fast and quick and as explosive getting at that second level, at least from what I've seen watching both of these guys. Um, so really excited about him for sure. A couple more little background details with him. His father played eight seasons in the NBA. I think that's always good to get from those athletic genes. Um, some career pass blocking stats. He had 1,312 snaps at the collegiate level. Again, left tackle some, right tackle his freshman year at Northwestern. Only allowed five sacks on over 1,300 snaps. It's unbelievable. It was the lowest pressure percentage allowed among 2021 offensive tackle prospects when you take out RPOs, play action passes, and screens. When you take all of those out, because those obviously don't really do a good job anyway, he was number one. Actually, he was tied for number one in the pressure pressure percentage with Pinesawal. They were both tied for one. A couple more interesting stats, I think, on Slater before we get into some weaknesses, because there obviously are some that Nick wants to dive into. Per PFF's Austin Gale, in more than 80 pass blocking snaps against Chase Young, Zach Bond, who was obviously a big Blue Panther favorite, got buried on that same step chart, but this is from 2019. AJ Epinesa, who the Bills selected in, uh, I believe, the late round two. That was a player who, for those of you who remember, a little throwback, I got into a little uh, Twitter Twitter uh, battle with, what's his name? What's, what's this Paul guy's Dettino. name? Paul Dettino. Because Dettino was like, if AJ Epinesa is on the board at 36, what was, were Giants picking 36 last year, right? I believe so. 36. There's no way they're going to pass up him. And I was like, Really, I really didn't even come at him. I was like, really? I'm not so sure. It doesn't really seem like he's a fit for Patrick Graham's system. Like, is he going to drop into coverage? Like, it doesn't really make sense to have him. And he's like, you know nothing about this. You should be doing hockey analysis. So, unfortunately for Paul, Epinesa went, I don't know, 25 picks later. The Giants probably had zero interest in a player like that. I don't see if they, it doesn't seem like they even sniffed around him. And so, I think I won that battle. But AJ Epinesa and Kenny Will- Willicks, who we talked about last year, who was obviously not like the best NFL prospect, but was solidly productive at the collegiate level. Against all of those guys in 80 blocking, in eighty snaps, he only allowed two pressures. Two pressures in 80 snaps against the best guys. And it was Bond and Epinesa. He didn't allow a single pressure against Chase Young. So just unbelievable stuff. Zero sacks allowed, obviously. Um, so let's dive into, now that we've kind of gone over all the glory when it comes to Slater, are there weaknesses in this game? Do, is there stuff we need to talk about from that standpoint? Yeah, there's a lot of uh, glory there for Slater. Like I said, I'm really high on him. And I brought up the length before. 33-inch arms, I mean, that's that's pretty low for the tackles in the NFL. That's kind of the baseline that you require to be an offensive tackle is 33 inches, and he's just at that threshold. That's not necessarily something that is great for him. It's not necessarily something that's working for him, mm-hmm. I guess you could say, because these – like, think about playing offensive tackle. What your job is to do is to stop a better athlete with forward momentum. And those athletes typically have 34-inch arms, 35-inch arms sometimes, which is insane. And we're talking about inches here, but that's a big deal here. And, and having a reach is is huge. So I just hope the NFL gives him a shot at playing tackle. That's something that I, um, I, I really hope that he gets because you saw him out on an island and he has the ability to mirror and do all those things. And I feel like Slater's feet and his reactionary quickness are kind of good enough to allow teams to give him that shot at tackle. And... I would love for him, if the Giants selected him, to be honest, to get a shot at right tackle because I think he would be an upgrade over what we've seen from Matt Parrott. But anyways, he could be a guard. So weakness, the length. And another thing that I saw with Slater sometimes on his film, and it was only a couple times, is he kind of chose the wrong set against a certain alignment. Now, if there was a wide rusher, I saw him attempt to kind of 45-degree set him instead of vertically set him. But the thing was, and I brought up his recovery speed before, he was so damn fluid with his hips and he was such a good athlete that he set wrong, said, oh crap, and then quickly flipped his hips and it got to the vertical set point to cut off the angle. Almost got beat. But I believe, I'm trying to remember the pass rusher. The guy got a good step on him, but Slater really, really recovered. But you just got to be more decisive what type of set you're going to use. You need to get back into that vertical set quickly if you're going to do that. And again, a vertical set, you usually execute those against, you can say, wider type of rushers or speedier rushers who are going to challenge you vertically. So that's what that is. We can break down uh, different sets on another podcast or maybe uh, on a video sometime. And correct me if I'm wrong, but the vertical set was at least adjusting to it at the end of the level, was was probably the biggest issue for Andrew Thomas coming into the, his first seven games with the Giants. It, it was weird, too, because I saw Andrew Thomas' vertical set a little bit at Georgia, and there were times where it looked good. But yeah, vertical set was definitely an issue for Andrew Thomas because he 
just compensated so much to not get beat in the half-man relationship at the top of the arc that he allowed everyone to beat him inside. inside. Yep. And that's something that Slater, he showed the ability to counter and do all that. And another thing about Slater that that, that I see, and I, and I think it's something that is fair to bring up, is he doesn't have elite strength. Now, it's not elite. Does that mean that he's going to get thrown around? Absolutely not. But he's not somebody who consistently dominates at the point of attack. That's not really his game. I would say his strength is solid to good. It's not going to be a liability, but if we're just going to be fair, it's not an elite trait that he has. Yeah, and he posted that video, or someone posted that video to his Twitter, or somebody's Twitter, Northwestern maybe Twitter, of him like doing that insano uh, squat. I think it was 400, whatever it was, however many pounds. And I think that's all fun and games, and like that's good to see, and I don't think he's weak by any means, but yeah. I think it shows up. And when you look at someone like him who has high 80s run block grade overall, high 80s pass block grade, high 80s zone grade, but his gap grade is in the mid mid to low 70s. I mean, you, you could see this is not the type of player that's going to be, like, driving players down, I don't think. Would you would you say that's fair? He's not really, like, like Andrew Thomas, for example, was really good in those down blocks as a rookie. And he's mm-hmm. a really strong player. Would you say it's a little bit different when you're looking at a player like Slater here? I would say it's a little bit different. But, again, I don't think it's something that's going to be a huge liability. Yeah. I think he uses his hands incredibly well, executes his angles really well, puts himself into an advantageous position. And he's not a slouch by any means when it comes to strength but it's not just going to be blowing people off the ball like we saw with Andrew Thomas against SEC defenders at Georgia. And I think we'll transition there into some questions I have for you based on this prospect and maybe the fit for the Giants. And one that kind of just came naturally based on what you said is we've talked a lot about the 33-inch arms. We've talked a lot about how really with his athleticism, we think he can honestly play all five. I think he can play all five positions on the line personally. And when you look at the Giants' situation with Matt Parrott already on the roster— there's a chance that you could draft a kid like Slater and you could put him at offensive guard. Now, my question for you specific to the Giants would be, how would he fit at guard in this system, in a system that we've seen already a full year of film on with Jason Garrett? Yes, we have a new offensive line coach, but I do think the Giants aren't going to go too far away from some of the staples we've seen in that run game. So where do you think he fits in that regard? Would he be just a monster on poles and like in space? Yeah, those counter tray plays where the backside guard bucket steps and pulls into space and locates, he kicks the guy out of the end man on the line of scrimmage out who's unblocked or follows through, which usually the backside guard is kicking out. He would be excellent because he can locate that inside shoulder, kick him out, allow the running back to find the hole. And then whether it be Gillespie or... Caden Smith being the H-back next year on those plays, they can go and locate the next nearest defender, whether that be a safety or a linebacker coming down into the alley. I think he would thrive in that type of role. Now, on the play side, like we said, he's not the most strong, but I believe he can still down block. It depends on the shade of the defender, what exactly he's going to be doing, or scoop block if he has to, which is when you scoop to the inside of somebody, get to that outside shoulder of them, and then seal them away. Slater has the footwork. Slater has the hips. Slater has enough strength to do those. So I think in a power... In the power gap system, he could still have success. And I know you brought up those PFF stats before, but this kind of level of athlete, I don't think it's somebody that is going to be, I I guess you could say, hindered because it's a more power gap scheme. Now, at the same time, Giants run a lot of inside zone duo type of plays as well, where it's a lot of deuce. It's a lot of ace type of blocks, climb to the second level. He would be excellent there as well. Like Literally, if the Giants are at 11 and he's there, I would be fine with the Giants selecting someone like that. I'm not worried about the blocking scheme because I do value what Rashawn Slater can bring to the table that much but I honestly don't think he's going to be there man I kind of think the Cowboys might scoop him up if he's there at 10. Yeah we'll talk a little bit more about that in in a few here because obviously it's pretty clear I mean you said you wouldn't you wouldn't be you would be fine with it. I think more so we're but we'd both be pretty elated with Slater at, at 11. Yeah, yeah elated yes. I'm, I'm pretty much close to locking him in as my top priority at 11 just the way I see roster building, how much I think he can help having an athlete like this on the line. And just the whole idea of just not neglecting the line and making sure we, we when everybody says you want to make sure you build around Jones and you give him quote unquote weapons to make sure that he's the guy or to give yourself a chance to be the guy. To me, we're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When I hear that, I'm like, the real weapon here is somebody like Rashawn Slater who can be the best athlete on this line immediately. Just immediate best athlete on this line. Potentially step in right away as a really plus pass blocker as a right tackle, which they did not have last year. They did, Whether it was Parrott or whether it was Fleming, who they let go completely unsigned and no one has scooped him up. They had bad pass protection at right tackle last year. The year before, it was okay with Rembers, but like Parrott, or even if it's Parrott taking a year-two jump or if it's Slater, you have that chance. But ultimately, we'll see what happens. I agree with you. We can talk a little bit about that in a second, but let's first talk more about how he fits this team and some more specific questions to Slater. But before we do that, actually, since we haven't done this already, we need to take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. Like any good team, hiring the right employees for your front office is just as important as recruiting the best players for the game. That's why you need Indeed. Indeed is the job site that makes hiring as easy as one, two, three. Post, screen, and interview all on Indeed. Get your quality shortlist of candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description faster. Only pay for the candidates that meet must-have qualifications and schedule and complete video interviews in your Indeed dashboard. According to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined. Get started right now with a free $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com BlueWire. Get a $75 credit at Indeed.com BlueWire. Indeed.com slash blue wire. Offer valid through June 30th. Terms and conditions apply. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed. Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. It's Big Blue Banter again, this time to talk to you about hosting your own podcast with our distributor, Blue Wire Pods. There's no better place to host than Blue Wire Hustle. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or, if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with BlueWire's top podcasters, access to our community Discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is, you can get all of this for only $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So if you're ready to do more than just listening to us talk about your favorite team, then make your voice heard in Hustle. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com slash join. Check out the description box in this episode to find out more, but that's bwhustle.com slash join. All right, so we will talk about whether we think he'll be there and where he is on our board. But before we do that, I want to do, like I said, touch a little more specifically on things with Slater. So the first thing I'd have to ask you, Nick, is, is there an offensive tackle that you've evaluated so far in this class or the 2020 class? Yes, there will be some 2020 class questions in these next few that has better feet, just pure footwork than Slater. Okay, better feet. Yes. I think Penay Suel is somebody that you can argue that he definitely does just because he's an athletic freak and his foot quickness and size are are desirable, I think you could say. And then Jedrick Wills from last year, I think you, I would say has probably better feet. But it, it's close, man, and I haven't seen the, that film in a while. I just remember really yeah. liking Jedrick Wills' tape and his ability to mirror. I see similar things with Rashawn Slater. Just in terms of footwork, those would be the two that would rival it. And I'm not even 100% sold, to be honest, that Penny Sewell has better feet per se, than Rashawn Slater. It's just that athletic upside combined with his size 
and movement skills is uh, something that's really, really impressive to me for someone like Penny Sewell, who's like, what, 330-something pounds. pounds. Yes. That's gigantic, and he still moves like that. So you have to take the, uh, the size into the equation as well. Yeah, I think that's spot on. I think if you're just looking at just the footwork, I think it might give the edge to Slater. But Penny Sewell literally ran a better three-cone than, than, than Slater's, which was amazing to begin with. And it was literally 1.1 1. 1 tick slower than David Bakhtiari's. Like, the David Bakhtiari three-cone is like the reason... People yeah. point to that as the reason why the Packers knew he was going to break out and become this elite left tackle. Packers got him, what, third, fourth round? Like, it was a day three pick, I think. It was either third or fourth round with, with Bakhtiari. Do you remember by any chance? I want to say it was a third round, but it, it might have been a fourth round. round. Okay. It, was, it was that late. Either way, it's obviously not a top-ten pick. And, like, people point to that three-cone. And Bakhtiari <laughs> did that three-cone at 299 pounds. Seawall almost matched his exact three cone at 330 pounds. Like like Nick said, he's just a different freak athlete. And then as far as Wills goes, what's interesting there is Wills in his rookie season was kind of immediately this really good pass protector, but actually struggled a lot as a run blocker at the beginning, got better in that regard. Josh Edwards, who is CBS Sports Draft Analyst and close friend and colleague of mine and diehard Browns fan, I talked to him a lot about Wills throughout the entire 2020 season and then at the end and with Jedrick Wills like that was the book on Wills he was really good immediately as a pass protector the, the like Nick said he was super smooth feet super smooth operator overall the ability to mirror was there and it translated right away at the NFL level but the run blocking did take some time for him at the NFL level and even by the end of it he wasn't by any means the kind of run blocker even that Andrew Thomas is and I think Andrew Thomas, you could make the case if you watch the film of both. Obviously, we don't have the time for this, that he was a better run blocker overall than Wills his rookie season. So that might be a similar case with, with Slater. I'm just curious if that maybe that will translate. It's tough to know. But a few more things I want to get your take on when it comes to Slater are it seems like he's incredibly explosive both in his out of his stance, both in the run game and in getting to the, in getting to the second level and in the pass game. Do you think that this would be one of his better traits, his explosiveness and ability to kind of get right into his stance? Oh, yeah. He's like shot out of a cannon sometimes, especially on those times where there's no defender over the top of him, and he just gets this automatic ability to, like, stab, say if there's, like, a, a three technique, he'll stab the three technique just to assist the guard and then automatically climb up to the second level. And it's like, haha, linebacker, try to cut this angle yeah. off. And literally, there, there was a play, and I think it was against Ohio State, where he did that, climbed, cut the angle of the, I want to say it was the outside linebacker, wasn't quite the apex defender, cut that angle off, positioned himself in front of the linebacker, and then the running back ran right off his ass. It was so impressive how he so got cool. up there. Yeah, it was, it was such an impressive play from Slater. Yeah, he is a really cool prospect to watch. He's a lot of fun. If you like offensive linemen and you want to get into watching film or just kind of trying to evaluate these players, I'd say I'd start with Slater. Slater or Sewall, either one, you're going to have so much fun watching both of them play. They're just such incredible athletes, and you put an athlete like that on your line, man, and to me, that's giving you a better chance to win than you put a receiver out there. I really do believe that. And uh, also, I think, just because we're talking about Sewall as well, I think Slater's more technically sound than Sewall. I just think the yep. upside with Sewall is just so much more than, than well, I don't want to say so much more, is more than Slater. It is so much more, though, in my opinion. The guy's 330, yeah. and he looks like he's 250 out there. It's, yeah, it's I think incredible. with Sewall, you have a chance to get the best offensive tackle in the NFL. 100%. I think he has that kind of upside to be the best. Obviously, he has a lot of work to do. But just looking at someone who's 330 pounds and can move like that, it's not like you just don't find those athletes. It's almost like the Trent Williams type thing where like Trent Williams is what? three. He's in that range too, I believe. And he moved. Trent Williams, even at yeah. this age, he's moving well. But remember the time they did the, there was like either a three cone, I think it was. It was like two or three off seasons ago when he was on the same team as Adrian Peterson. They posted a video, Adrian Peterson and Trent Williams doing a three cone. And I'm pretty sure that Trent Williams beat Adrian Peterson in the three cone. It was either that or some kind of testing. Maybe it, maybe it was a shuttle or something like that, 10-yard split. Either way, Trent Williams beat Adrian Peterson. They went to college together, too. They yeah. were both Oklahoma, so I wonder if he was beating them back in college, too. I mean, he. this is what I mean. Like, Seawall, that's where – with Seawall, you have the potential, I think, to get the best offense tackle in the NFL. Mm. With Slater, you have a lot of potential. He'll be a really – he could be right away like Worfs. Who knows? But I just think Seawall has that upside. But who knows? Um, so a couple other questions about that. He came in as a guard recruit. We talked about played right tackle, then played left tackle. Do you feel like he has the potential to play any position on the line if the Giants needed him to? I do. I do. And there's no, I mean, it would just be me projecting with, with the center position, but there's nothing about his skill set that 
would lead me to believe that he couldn't be a center? Would he be able to hold up at the point of attack against a nose tackle? I believe he would be able to, you know, play with really good leverage yeah. and and be able to absorb that contact. I mean, I think his anchor is, I would say, solid to good. Again, that's not necessarily something that's elite, but I think he ca- could do it if you needed him to do it. I think he has enough skill to do that. Cool. I got some interesting questions coming up. That's why that's why I kind of got this smile on my face. I'm going to put you to the task in a second. But first, let's talk about this. How does Slater do with picking up stunts and when the defensive line runs games? He's he's good at it, man. Like I feel like he's very very patient. He doesn't he stays calm, balanced, all those things I was talking about before, and he keeps his eyes up. You know, you notice something pre-snap, you know, a safety roll over the top, you you notice something pre-snap, you're like, "Okay, that's happening. That might lead to this, so I need to be ready for the defender to do this." And then once say if it's a 5 technique, that defender shoots to your inside, you double team with the guard and then you just wait for that inside looper that tackle to try to come around the edge and then I just see I see I almost said Tevin Jenkins I see Rashawn Slater doing that and doing it well I haven't seen him fooled too much yeah that's something that people talk about how he's really good mental processing as a pass protector so that's a good thing to know because that's something that can give you trouble if you're for, as you're a rookie coming into the NFL so I think I think that he really profiles as someone who would immediately help the Giants in pass protection and again, I think he's just an immediate, obvious help in the screen game and in those like quick hitting space play, base plays. But let me ask you one more thing about him. There has been some talk about his anchor needing work. You talked a little bit about his play strength, but I think the anchor gets a little more specifically into this. Do you believe? And you talked. You've every time we talk on this line, you talk anchor. So where do you feel? Do you feel like that's a valid criticism, or do you think that that's something that's kind of a little bit overblown? No, I think it's a valid criticism. It goes to his what I was talking about with his just functional strength before. I believe he absorbs contact well, but there are times where he's getting backed up a little bit, but he keeps resyncing that anchor and kind of trying to reestablish a line of scrimmage, and he also really gets his hands inside well and then just pulls the defender close to his face, like I said before, like smell my damn breath, that whole type of thing, and then there's no space for the defender to break off, and everybody holds in the NFL. You just got to do it the right way. Yeah. <laughs> he holds the right way. So again, I don't I don't think it's something that's going to hinder his ability, but again, it's not an elite trait that he has okay i think that's fair all right now we're gonna make you do something that might be difficult and i know you're probably not gonna want to do but we're gonna make you do it and you could opt out of this you can choose to use a COVID opt-out for this if you want i'm gonna say this if you could re-rank the 2020 offensive tackle class knowing what you know now and having seen what you saw on tape or on the broadcast angle everything read about during the 2020 season where, and, you're, and you have to include Slater in these rankings. You're not including Sewell. You're not including Jenkins, any of the other guys. Where would you rank Slater right now? So this is with everything I know now, you know not now. with my yes. priors. No, not okay. your priors. You've seen them play at the NFL level. You get that insight. Okay, too. so I think it's hard to not have Tristan Wirfs number one. Yes. And uh, the health thing kind of gets in the way because Mekhi Becton was – was good, but he wasn't available all the time. And that's mm-hmm. something that you have to kind of take into effect. So – Honestly, you look at just the prototype of just long arms. Andrew Thomas, what he did in the second half, he's got to be in the conversation for two. But I may actually end up putting Mackay Becton there. If, are we ignoring the injuries? Not ignoring the injuries. Those should be factored into your rankings. You you have to. It, it's essentially like we're drafting over right now let's say but we've seen it's like you're drafting over right now in this weird hypothetical situation where you've seen how they actually play at the NFL yeah, level and that there's the caveat is I haven't studied the film of these other guys so I'm sure. going off of what just my impression and just from seeing you know highlights and stuff like that and some film breakdowns I'm sure you've seen yeah yeah some film breakdowns I've seen but I think Tristan Wirfs would be one I think I might go with Makai Becton, too, with the upside, yeah. Andrew Thomas, and then I think Slater, and then Wills, just because Wills did struggle with the run blocking, and I have heard that from people who who are on the Browns. But honestly, pre-draft, I might have Slater 5 going in from last year. Okay, And that's not a knock on him at all, but we were all high on those tackles for a reason. And also, you got to consider the Rashawn Slater opt-out for 2020. He, he has that great film against... Ohio State and and Chase Young he has a lot of great things working for him but I I don't know man I struggle with it I think right now gun to my head I may say five from the pre-draft but now knowing what I know I would have him at was it four right you said so you would have Will's five gotcha yeah okay that's interesting um I'm definitely super high on Andrew Thomas based on the second half I think I've said it before I'll say it again he's without a doubt right now the Giants best prospect on the roster and it's not even close when you factor in age upside 
and positional importance. They don't have any prospect anywhere near him on the roster in my mind. So even if you look just back at the drafts, like you have a Jones at, as your last first round Daniel Jones quarterback. Obviously, there's some upside there, but I don't think it's the same kind of upside as Andrew Thomas may have, at least as far as just pure position goes. Like, will Daniel Jones ever be one of the three best quarterbacks? I don't know. I think Thomas honestly can get rise to a higher level than people even think right now, just based on age, just based on what he showed in that second half. But if I had to re-rank them, I'd obviously go with Worf's one. I think that one's pretty obvious. I think I'd probably still put Becton too because I was so high on him and there's just so much upside but honestly it would me it would be between Becton and Slater I'm just looking for a different type of player I want these athletes to me on the line give you such an advantage not only just if with their pass protection upside because even Wills like you said like struggled a little bit as a run blocker but he helped as a pass blocker I'm pretty sure I'd rather have the pass blocker than the run blocker but also I just feel like Slater just gives you so much upside in the run game too because of this hit that's Sorry, his athleticism. So it's close, and I'm going to defer to you on this because you're obviously way more of an offensive line expert than me. But I think you're getting – he's in that range is what I'm trying to get at. I, I do agree yeah. that he's in that range. And the reasons why I have those other guys above him is – now, I think it's valuable that he has the positional versatility. Mm. But Andrew Thomas, that's a prototypical left tackle. Right. Kai Becton, that's a prototypical left tackle. And then Tristan Wirfs is a right tackle, but he's like a Lane Johnson type of right tackle yeah. for the – Super Bowl winning Tampa Bay I also don't think it's like crazy to think like everybody glocks into these takes do you think it's crazy to think that if they want him to be a left tackle he could be a left tackle just more it's like like you have to learn a whole new set but so did Andrew Thomas when he had to flip the left tackle so did Slater when he had to flip the left tackle like I think people get too boxed in as far as right tackle versus left tackle and I also think left like left tackle that's the blind side to most quarterbacks because most quarterbacks are righty but Edge rushers these days, man. It's not exactly. like your pass rush. It's not the 1990s where it's like, yeah. oh, my pass rusher, I jump on the right side every time. Yeah. Like, it's not like that. Some of the better pass rushers are coming <laughs> off the other edge now. Literally, Von Miller, Khalil yes. Mack. Like, exactly. some of the best pass rushers in the NFL are actually, Leonard Floyd, are coming off that edge. So it's like that whole right tackle, left tackle thing to me is one of the worst, it, like, it, outdated tropes right it, now. It's a little overblown, but again, it, it's important because most quarterbacks are righty. So sure. they don't see that pressure yeah. coming. But that's where the importance kind of really comes in. Sure. No doubt about that. All right, interesting. I wanted to see where you rank them. So now, would you want the Giants to draft him at 11? Yes, I would okay. I would definitely take that. Would it be a run to the podium pick for you at 11? I don't know if any of these are going to be run to the podium because it just depends on who else is around. Yeah. Because what, I mean, what if we're living in crazy land and Penny Sewell's around too? Right. So that right. would be a run to the podium kind of situation. So it would definitely... Let's just say if the Giants go there, like you said before, elation is the right word. Yeah, I think that's fair. Seawall or Slater are both on the clock at 11. Who are you taking? Seawall. Me too. Uh, Seawall and Pitts are both on the clock at 11. Who are you ta- I'm sorry, not Seawall. Slater and Pitts are still on the clock at 11. Who are you taking? See, th- this is tough. Luckily, the Giants are not going to face this decision. <laughs> I think the Giants— You never know, dude. <laughs> I think you never the, know. I think the Giants would go Kyle Pitts, but I think I would be fine with going Rashad Slater. I really just think the Giants need to ensure that this offensive line isn't a huge liability like it's been in the last few seasons. And I know this is a rookie you're relying on, but this rookie is going to allow competition that's going to rise the cream to the top. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So that's what I'm really kind of hoping for. We can't act like it's not a great thing to have competition on the line. Like, who cares? That's the one position you want to have an embarrassment of investments and riches and uh, yeah. and assets thrown into. It's everything. It's literally everything besides quarterback on offense. So I'm with you there. As far as Pittsburgh Slater, though, that's one of those decisions where Oof. I'm on the clock. I'm sitting at the poker table. I raised 150 on the turn. Somebody jammed the stack of 1,000 into me. We're playing deep stack, hole in poker. I'm taking so long to make this decision with the second nuts that I literally have to get the clock called on me. The floor has to come in, call the clock, going down a minute clock. They give you a minute on the clock when somebody calls the clock on you. It's down to 10 seconds, and I'm not sure if I'm going to call with the second nuts. But either way, I'm getting either Slater or Pitts, and I'm freaking happy about it. You might as well have been speaking Mandarin right there. (laughs) (laughs) Talking about nuts and stuff. (laughs) The nuts nuts in poker is the best possible hand. The second nuts is the second best possible hand. It's a little poker lingo. Some might appreciate it. Some might not. Hopefully it doesn't drop our rankings and star reviews. And I do want to get to some reviews at the end of the show because we did have a real champion, I'm going to call him, somebody who spite-reviewed Barcavio. He spite-reviewed Barcavio's two-star with a five-star, which I... I love. Anyone who listens to this knows that's right up my alley. Someone wants a spite review, a negative review, you're my new best friend. All right, let's finish this off with a hypothetical. 
If you are the Giants and you have an offer to trade back into the late teens, but Slater is still on the board at 11, would you take that offer? Do we know what the offer is? Does it involve a future one? You get a second. No. You get a, you get a second round pick in this class. You have an extra second out of it. I think it's interesting. I think you entertain it. But whatever the – I'm not sure how Dave Gettleman really values someone like Rashawn Slater, but I do believe that it can be entertained. But if they don't and they pass it up, which is what would happen because the Giants aren't going to take a trade and trade down, then selecting Rashawn Slater, I'd be 100% fine with that. But I believe in entertaining any of these trade down situations. It just depends on what you can get from it. Yeah, it's funny because you said it. Like you, What you said is so funny to me because it's like I'm probably the same spot with you. I don't know what I would do here because I love Slater and I love the idea of adding Slater to the line. But normally, obviously, anyone who listens to this podcast knows me and Nick are all in on trading back and acquiring more assets at all times. But you said, like, you know, it's not going to happen. Dave Gettleman has never traded back with Carolina or the Giants, and he's, ne- and he's consistently traded up a few spots. He is typically a drafter who falls in love with prospects. He's typically someone who believes that so strongly in his big board that and his ability to evaluate that if he has a guy ranked four and he's there at 11 or if he has a guy ranked 22 and he's there at 55 he has to take him you can't trade back but i'm weirdly starting to think and i know i'm setting myself up for disaster here i know nick that i'm setting myself up for failure but i'm starting to believe this joe judge narrative that joe judge is really running the show running the strings and i think i'm starting to get a weird feel that the giants might potentially trade back in this class I know I'm setting myself up for disaster. I know this is a stupid thing to do, but I'm starting to get a little optimistic that they're considering a trade back, especially if it is going to be the case that they're targeting edge in this first round and they just believe they have to get an edge. They need a pass rusher. They can't worry about best player available. They have to get an edge. I think they might trade back or they might look to trade back. They might not complete it. They might not feel like they get good value. You know, Gettleman says like, we can't trade back unless we get great value, but I think they're starting to consider it. So I'm probably setting myself up a disaster, but we'll see. We'll see. Or they could just sit tight at 11 and just take an edge about 25 spots before a lot of people thought that edge would go. It's something that Dave Gettleman would do because he doesn't give a crap about criticism no. whatsoever. He definitely doesn't. And then we're going to have to hope for the upside of that edge being an immediate pass rusher. It's possible. These guys obviously have skill sets that are pretty good. And we're going to get to the last one we think could be selected by the Giants at 11 shortly after this podcast. So you'll probably hear this one first and then you'll hear that one. But... Again, I'm starting to get a little optimistic about a potential trade. If they trade down, man, I will be. So that would be it. I would be so surprised that, like, that would be the proof to me that I need that Joe Judge is really running the show. That really would be it. Like, people talk all offseason. All the fans on Twitter gather around. They say the Joe Judge is really running the show. Gabe Gettleman's not doing anything. He's now a puppet. Or they're working conjunction, but Judge is getting most of the say. I've heard a lot of that. I don't think anyone really knows. People act like they have any idea over this stuff. No one's in the building. We're not in the building. You're not in the building. Some people claim to have sources in the building. Who knows? But if a trade down happens, I will know for a fact that it's not the full Dave Gettleman show. Because Dave Gettleman, if he was running this show all by himself, would find someone at 11 that he feels he has to take. But if they trade down, man, things are changing in this Giants organization. So we're going to wrap it up there. Before we wrap up the show... I do want to thank all of the listeners who have left us a rating and review on Twitter. I'm sorry, on iTunes. We are all the way up to 525 ratings now, which is excellent because for a while there, we were struggling just to get to the 500 points. So now I want to hit another, um, I don't know, another benchmark. I'll come up with that shortly. We'll have to decide. But before we do that, I do want to shout out BW Boy Wonder, who left a Burkavio spite review. For those who don't remember <laughs> from the last podcast, Burkavio randomly left us a two-star review for no real reason in his review, which originally was a four-star. This shows you how weirdly I track these reviews and how intently I follow these reviews for no real reason. I don't know why I'm so obsessed with them, but he left us a four-star Burkavio, and his whole thing, reason for leaving four instead of five was that during the Zavin Collins podcast, which we didn't even really say we even really liked Collins. We even in that podcast said we wouldn't want him at eleven. We wouldn't even want to trade up for him in the second round. We would take him forty two. He's like, We already have Collins on the roster, this is ridiculous. He then dropped it to a two star. So just a little review on that. BW Boy Wonder said Burkavio Spite Review. Never reviewed a podcast before in my life, but I had to add to add to the airtime Barcavio got for his ridiculous change in the review. First off, his review was dumb because no one on the Giants roster is anything like Zayvon Calls, regardless of whether he's a good player or fit for the Giants. Second, who takes the time to go back and update a review from four to two stars? Anyway, great pod. Question, now the Giants roster looks pretty much set, minus any depth for agent signings. What would you both consider realistic picks at 
each current spot in the draft for Big Blue. Please throw a couple names for each draft slot. Oh, okay. A couple names for each draft slot. So do you want to take the first one or do you want, or do, how do you want to do this? Do you want to both provide first round picks and both yeah. provide second round picks? Yeah, let's just, we're just going to do day one and day two and day, or sorry, day one and day two for this for right now. Okay. So I don't want to give away, not that we're not ready to do it, but I don't want to give away. We have a lot of good content coming as far yeah. as who we're targeting in those day two, which we haven't talked a lot about. I actually think we're just going to go round one for now. So we don't spoil any content. I'm going to make an exact decision. Here. Okay. So I'm going to name one, you name one, and then we'll do it like that. Sure. I'll start with this one, Rashawn Slater. <laughs> okay, I, I'll start by saying I don't think the Giants are considering or will take Slater at 11. That's my guess right now. I think I'm going to go Devontae Smith. That's yeah, been I, my call I, the whole time. I think Devontae Smith is a really, really good call, and I'm going to go with his teammate Jalen Waddle. Okay, I'm going to go with I'm going to go with Aziz Ojolari. Okay, Aziz, and again, I, Edge. Like I think that's a really good uh, point that the Giants. I mean, they've been. It seems like they they are really going to be looking at the edge position a lot. So you can insert Jalen Phillips, Greg yep. Rousseau, or any of those types of guys, those are the Miami pass rushers. Uh, I believe the Giants are definitely going to be looking possibly at the edge position here. But another player who's not technically an edge, but he's probably the best defensive player in this draft class overall, and that's Micah Parsons. Now, linebacker isn't necessarily a incredibly valued position, but it's still a difference maker on that side of the football. I love Parsons. I think he's probably the best defensive player in this class and could be great in Graham's system. But I'm going to say I don't think the Giants are going to be interested in drafting Parsons. Just a feel I get based on a lot of what I've heard and what I've read and what I've seen. And just based on the fact that I really do feel like they are trying to address needs first in this class. And that's not necessarily to say that they won't feel like they're getting good value. But I feel like they're looking at this roster right now and they're like, we are ready to compete. We've done everything we need on this roster except find a traditional one-on-one pass rusher. And so I really think they're looking hard to try to find one, either be at 11 or 17. So I'm going to take Parsons off and I'll instead throw out his teammate, Oa, Jason Oa, who, again, in freak athlete, maybe another JPP, potentially doesn't have the production at the collegiate level, but also hasn't really played football for that long. And eventually we're going to actually have to hit him. He might be our last draft profile because I think there is a decent chance the Giants draft him either at 11 or via trade back into the late teens. So that's how I'll end it there, PW Boy Wonder. There's actually a lot more reviews than I thought recently. So I'm going to cut it off there. We're going to do a couple more podcast, podcast profiles of these draft prospects in the coming days. So We'll get to all the questions there on those because those might be a bit shorter. We're running long on time now. So everybody, thank you again for leaving us a rating review on iTunes. Please, please take the time to do us one quick favor. If you have Instagram and you mindlessly scroll through it like I do for, I don't know, probably I haven't looked at my screen time lately. I don't want to. I don't want to see how much time I spend on Instagram. It's probably more than I would like. It's a nice little time waster. Do us a favor. Type into that search bar, NY Big Blue Banter. That's NY Big Blue Banter. And follow us on Instagram. It takes one click. It takes two, two, three seconds. I guarantee you're going to like what you see. It's consistently getting updated with video, with links to our podcast, but not even too much promotion. It's mostly just a lot of really, really, really good content I think you guys will enjoy to just see on your feed. And if not, tell me about it and unfollow. That's fine. But at least give us a shot. And then lastly, if you do enjoy talking Giants football and you want to talk Giants football with us, Every single Tuesday at 8 p.m., we're hosting a live Q&A with the listeners of this show on the Locker Room app. I'll be tweeting a link every Tuesday. I'll be tweeting a link at the time of the show. Go ahead, download that app, Locker Room app, on your iTunes or on your... It's coming to Android. It's not there yet, which is unfortunate because I know a lot of you have said to me that you want to play... I'm sorry, you want to participate in our show, but you can't because it's not on android well it will come to that soon i promise that so if you are on itunes join us there every tuesday at p.m otherwise have a great rest of your week and we will talk to you soon